Hello and welcome to Connect Points podcast and sermon archives. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please go online to our website at connectpointupc.com or follow us on our Facebook page. Thank you very much and I hope you enjoy this week's message. God bless. So here's the thing. So when we were, when we decided to have this class, I was like, talking with my wife and I was like, oh, we, we could do this or we could do that or we could talk about this or we could talk about that. And there was just way too many things to try to cover. And so I decided why not just put together a packet and you can do some of this stuff together. You can read through it together of your own time. Uh, but I'm going to just kind of briefly go through some of this, and then we're going to talk together. My, my wife and I are both going to talk about some stuff. But there's 22 rules of fair fighting. Um, doesn't matter if you're newlyweds or been married a long time. It would be a good way to refresh yourselves a little bit um, because we can get into some bad behaviors and kind of just accept some things and problem is is that if we don't understand how to fight correctly which we all know every married person in here knows you're going to fight that's going to happen um people call it different things a lot of times your elders like to put like cute little words about it it still means they fight <laughs> and if you've ever been around old people when they let their hair down you know that they fight so it doesn't mean they don't fight. It just means that they have figured out better ways to do some of it. And a lot of it has to do with this. So I would encourage you to go through these things together and see if you're following some of these healthy guidelines. Um, for instance, cooling off periods. Are we, are we doing that? Number three, a lot of this stuff, it requires that you establish some ground rules in your marriage that there are some things that, you know, we're just going to establish at some point. If you can establish them at the beginning of your marriage, wonderful. That's awesome. But you can establish them at any point. You can decide we're going to establish some ground rules. And cooling off periods is, is a good thing. Pinning down a time and a place. So much of the time, arguments and fighting occurs, and it doesn't get resolved because... We want to do it at 12.30 in the morning when everybody's exhausted. We want to do it when, you know, there's other people around. We want to do it when we're starving. That's a bad idea. Bad idea to try to resolve a big argument when you're hungry. Right? Am I right? Ground rule number one, no fighting during church fast days. Just not allowed. Not allowed to happen. So, uh, so you see some of these. If you just kind of flip through them a little bit, don't hit below the belt. Don't be vulnerable areas, weaknesses, sensitive areas that you know. That's one of the easy traps that people fall into. Is we forget we're on the same team, and then we decide we want to say something that's just really hurtful, and so we bring up something that we know is going to be painful. And that's not kind, it's not Christ-like, and there's no benefit to it whatsoever. Uh, don't label granting equal time, not dominating one, one another. Developing humor is a great thing that you can work on in your marriage to be able to laugh off some of the things that would maybe have before sent you into a, a downward spiral. Those of you that have children, how we deal with anger and stuff in front of our kids, that's a good thing to work on. If you do, uh, if the fight starts in the presence of the children, which I don't uh, think is a good idea, but if it does start in the presence of your children, it needs to be taken out of the presence of your children as soon as possible. And you need to show your children that you've resolved it at some point, especially if you want to raise children that are going to have healthy relationships someday. So if you start a fight in front of your kids, 
You need to take it someplace else, resolve it, and then at some point come back in front of your kids and acknowledge that you have resolved it. I'm not saying you have to tell them everything. I'm just saying acknowledge that we worked through it, we figured it out, we love each other still. You know, that's a very, very healthy thing to teach children when they are uh, young. Keep your fights to yourself. I could talk about that for a long time. Other people don't need to know all of your business. Pastors are there for that. Counselors are there for that. But Facebook, uh, Facebook is not there for that. <laughs> Mom and dad are not there for that. Sometimes in young marriages, a lot of times that's a mistake they make. They start having a fight and they, one of them wants to go run and call mommy. The Bible says we leave our mother and father. Right. And uh, there's, there's a lot of wisdom you can get from elders, but not in the middle of a fight. Right? right? right. Not in the middle of a fight. Right. Friends, friends, here's the, here's the problem. When you get really upset with your spouse and you're really mad and negative and you call a friend, and you just spew out all of those feelings about your spouse, that's their view of your spouse. And then an hour later, when you and your spouse make up, and now you're all lovey-dovey again, your friend still views your spouse that way. And they have this permanent view of your spouse that is not true. It's not realistic. And that can be very detrimental because... Sometimes friends like to get involved in marriages, and if all you've ever showed them was this negative side, then they're probably not going to be the great advocate for your marriage when you need someone to set you straight. When you need someone to set you down and say, you know what, you've got a problem too. You need to work this out. Marriage is important. If all they've ever heard from you was moments of anger when you were spewing all kinds of negativity to them, they're going to say, yeah, kick the loser to the curb. Right? Right. So, these are good. These are good things that you need to uh, refresh yourselves with every once in a while. We all need to refresh ourselves and make sure that we are doing these. Um, Now, the last one, I understand, is apostolics. That should be the first one. But, it's just on there, okay? Prayer as a strength. Everybody knows we pray first. Right? We pray first. So we pray first, we get counsel, we get help, we, we talk it through, whatever. But prayer is, uh, is the first part. All right, let's go to the next thing. Like I said, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this stuff because I think you can do some of this together. Because of seasons in life and because life changes, every once in a while you need to Go through the top 10 emotional needs list again. Okay? Because these things change. As you, as you develop, as your marriage develops, as you, as a person, as we get older. Uh, I might have skipped conflict resolution. But the conflict resolution is, goes with the 22 things. Yeah. <clears throat> That's just a really good thing for you guys to sit down at the table, look each other in the eye, and sign Conflict resolution, it's right after the 22 22 deals. It's kind of like you're making a commitment to one another, you know? You see, like, I'm never going to hit you in any way, physically harm you, call you names. I'm never going to say I don't love you. Yeah? Those are things that would be good not to do. Um, It's just a relationship kind of connection you can make with each other and say, I agree to not be that person so top 10 emotional needs they're explained there now here's the thing about emotional need there's way more than 10 okay there's way more than 10 and even the 10 that we have here can be you know well i mean i like affection but i think of affection like this or i I like admiration but this is how i feel about admiration so that can all be fine-tuned to you and your personality type and all that. But the reality of it is this. It's very simple. You have emotional needs. I didn't say you're needy. I said you have emotional needs. 
You have emotional needs because God created you with emotional needs. When we try to deny that we have emotional needs, we're denying our creator. We're denying how he created us. Okay? So that's just a big waste of time. Really not a good thing to do. We have them. The question is, what are ours and what are the priority of they in, are they in our life? Because we're not universal in this. We don't all have the same emotional needs in the same order. So, you see the little work you have here. Now, you, I would like if each of you would have a booklet or at least make a copy of this because if you see what really is supposed to happen, you're supposed to fill out what your... You're supposed to start with your top five, and then you're supposed to put what you imagine your spouse's top five are. See the two columns? So that's important because the conversation you're going to have about this needs to be true and honest. So you need to put down what you think your your spouse's top emotional needs are based upon this list. And then you need to compare it with what they tell you their top emotional needs are. Because once again, I don't care how long you've been married, these things change. And if you're not staying up with the changes, you can be out of whack on what you're trying to provide for your spouse, which is maybe different from what they wanted you to provide at a different time in life. Okay? So you need to understand and kind of stay on top of that. The other thing is that there is a reciprocational part of marriage. There's an aspect to marriage that is give and receive, give and receive. Not give and take, it's give and receive. Okay? And there's a scripture that we based the golden rule off of. That talks about doing unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? But here's, here's the thing. That, that rule needs to be expanded in our understanding. Because we limit it to, well, this is what I would like. So that's what I think they should like. I'm going to do unto them what I want them to do unto me. Well, that's not how it works. You, you need to do unto them what they need which may be different from what you need. But if you do unto them what they need, whether you understand it, whether you think it's right or wrong, or agree with it, or think, well, that shouldn't be that high on the priority, it doesn't matter. If it's their emotional need, doing unto them is meeting their emotional need. And them doing unto you is you meeting their emotional needs. They may be very different, and most of the time they are. And this is where doing a little bit of homework every few years can keep your marriage healthy. Just living in a box and saying that, well, this is what they've always liked, doesn't mean that that's going to be what they like now. Right? Are we all the same people that we were 20 years ago? I don't think so. No, we're not. And we're not going to be the same people 20 years from now. So if we want our marriage to be healthy 20 years from now, we need to understand our spouse. And that means we're going to have to put the time and effort in. But instead of trying to guess, I know most men don't like playing the guessing game. We don't like trying to figure out what it is that we're missing, instead of doing that, we communicate to each other these emotional needs. And I promise you that unless your spouse just really doesn't like you at all, which that's a deeper problem, (laughs) if they have any concern or love or like for you at all, it will be a very natural thing for them to reciprocate and meet your emotional needs as, as you are meeting their emotional needs. Okay? I believe it's something that God puts in us naturally, that when we actually care about that aspect of our lives, it happens more naturally. But unfortunately, what happens is that we can get really stuck in some ruts. We're going to talk about that a little bit. 
and we can fail to realize that things have changed. And that's a, that's a mistake. Uh, personal relationship values, one through five. These are just some things that I think it would be good for you to, to go over, remind yourselves of, talk about them. If you haven't noticed yet, this little pamphlet is designed for you to communicate with each other. Because most of the time, that's the problem. Most of the time, the communication or lack of communication is the actual problem. And if we would just learn and force ourselves to have the conversations that are necessary, then we would find life to be a whole lot easier. Relational healing. There's some seven statements of relational healing. And by the way, I, I probably should have pointed this out. I didn't just jump on Google. This is stuff... In, in the last 20 years, this is stuff that I, have, that I have accumulated and built and gained and gleaned from marriage books and used in marriage counseling and used with people. This is stuff, I know this stuff works. This isn't just let's throw a bunch of information together so we can have a, a little packet. Okay? This is stuff I know is helpful. This is stuff that I have used personally. It's stuff I have helped other people use. And it, it is stuff that is good for a healthy marriage so this is this is what this is uh but but as you can see uh in the seven statements of relational healing this is about uh paul and second corinthians and you're making a connection here he's working through some relationship stuff and so this is not necessarily marriage specific but it's relational um but there are a lot of things that we can learn from that and that we can apply uh in our in our marriages and so this is a very helpful thing and i just thought why not just give it to give it to everybody and it's in your hands now and you can do with it what you will any questions on the stuff that's in the packet Yes. Will there be a test later? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Next time you find Terry. Yeah. The test will come. Terry. The, te- the test will come, I guarantee you. All right. So me and my wife are going to talk about uh, some stuff here, uh, kind of finding new paths. We're going to talk a little bit about um, patterns that develop in marriage. And I'm just going to tell you right now that... Every once in a while, I have a coughing fit that is absolutely ridiculous. So if I start coughing, I may literally just walk out because uh, I can't stop for a little bit. But we'll see if that happens. Um, so as, we do, as we're married, the longer we're married, we begin to develop patterns. Maybe one person gets frustrated, uh, gets angry. The other one retreats kind of waits for things to cool off maybe one becomes more helpless in the situation and the other one just always rises up and takes charge of the situation maybe one is given to an outburst of feelings or emotions uh and maybe the other one's more interested in facts and logical stuff um and try not to hit each other while we're going through this okay try not to be like um Here's the thing about patterns. Patterns in marriage help us to get what needs to be done, done. So if you were expecting me to say patterns are bad, that's not what I'm going to say. Uh, Patterns become, in marriage, they become like well-worn paths that lead us uh, through conflict, through stress, through decision-making that needs to be done. So the point about it is, is you learn as you're married that you don't have to chart a new course to a solution with every problem that comes along. Like everything that comes along after you've been married for 5, 10, 20, 40, whatever years, you learn we don't have to reinvent the wheel every time we're faced with a problem. We've figured some stuff out. We've got a pattern. I do this, she does that. He does this, she does that. We have a pattern and it helps us to get what needs to be done done okay that's one of the signs of a marriage that is progressing and figuring it out that everything doesn't have to come to a screeching halt 
and we don't have to have this huge thing that lasts two or three days. Do you remember those fights, some of you older couples? <laughs> those fights that lasted like days, and now the same thing happens now, and it's like 45 seconds. And you're like, man, I wish I would have known that when, when we were, if we would have just known how to deal with that. And so um, they help us get through some stuff. So like, we're going to talk about Pam and Chet a little bit. I guess I'm Chet. You're Pam. Uh, so, so we're not really, this is not based off of us. We're playing the roles of Pam and Chet. But I promise as you, we go through this, you'll see that's true. But it says uh, Chet is a very quiet thinker. Chet doesn't say much about his feelings. Chet works like a computer, inputs facts, and comes up with the best answer. While Pam wonders if Chet even has feelings. Right. Pam is very aware of her feelings and the feelings of others. She makes decisions based upon how the options feel to her. So we know that different styles can cause conflict. But we've also all heard about opposites attracting. And we've all found that if you can figure out how to balance those things and work in your strengths, it can make a very, very healthy marriage. And most of the time, it works. Most of the time, it works. So you're buying a new car. So Chet takes the lead. Chet checks the consumer surveys, the maintenance costs, the safety features. And Pam trusts his judgment to do that. Now, don't get offended. I feel the already somebody's getting offended. Don't get offended if this is not how it works in yours. It can work however it works, but you just have to learn how it works. So Pam trusts Chet's judgment, but she wants her suggestions when it comes to style and color. She might not care what's under the hood, but she wants to be involved in what color the thing is going to be. Planning a vacation. Pam takes the lead. She thinks of family time together, privacy. She checks for activities that would be restful. She takes into account things that would cause stress and conflict in the car. And then Chet suggests a good route and budget for the trip. There you go. So what you see is that everything, this is one of the things I detest about people who don't understand relationships. And when I have young couples in my office, I try to nip this in the bud immediately. This idea of 50-50 in marriage is ridiculous. It makes no sense. It's not logical. And it's a lie from the devil. It's not really a lie from the devil. But people think that marriage is supposed to be 50-50 all the time. And so they strive for this unattainable reality that doesn't even make sense. Because you have different strengths. And so that means when you're facing things... The person who has the strength in that area should definitely have a higher influence to how the outcome is. If it's something that you have the better strength in, the better knowledge of, you have more passion about, you're, you, you, you get it, and your spouse is like, okay, then yeah, that's probably going to be an 80-20 situation. It might be like, I'm not trying to... Set, say it for you, but if we're buying a new car and we're looking at and, and, and you're, you're looking at all of the, the engine and the storage and the power and the warranty and all this stuff, the other spouse just says, you let me know when it comes time to pick out the color. And then I'm going to have some input on the color. Right? right. Yeah. And that should be okay to say, no, no, nope. I know I'm the car one, and I know this, and I love to do all the studying, and I love to spend hours researching every detail of everything, but you need to meet me halfway on this. You just, you're not, you're not keeping yourself from a fight. You're starting a fight. You're starting, you're putting yourself in a situation where you will fight. So we don't understand that. That's not necessary to try to achieve that unattainable goal, but... We do look for the patterns that work in our relationship. And, and they, some of them can work well when, when situations come, when uh, trials come. This is where we can make a mistake with patterns. Patterns can work very well until they don't. 
until something happens that's different. Until a situation arises that you haven't dealt with before. And it requires a change take place. And this is where during times of change or times of stress that we can notice that patterns have become ruts. Okay? So patterns are good. If I say patterns, good. Patterns, good. If I say ruts, bad. Ruts, bad. Okay. And if we don't sometimes realize it until the, the stressful thing comes, the challenging thing comes, and we realize we have a rut, which means, and this is why it's devastating, that we don't have the ability to change and take a different approach than we've always taken. Marriage takes place over many years, right? We stand before God and say, till death do us part. So if God allows, it goes until we die. So that's a long time. And in over many years, a lot of situations change. And there's a lot of variables and various crises can arise. And long-lasting marriages will always have to survive dramatic changes. Anyone who's married for a long time is going to have that random Tuesday when something hits you out of the blue. It's going to have that loss. It's going to have that challenge that you were not, you didn't see it coming. A difficult season. And marriage patterns can be seen as, as paths. And healthy marriages have straight and easy to follow paths. And partners can go from conflict to a resolution on those well-worn paths. But when they become ruts, so if Pam focuses only on feelings and Chet focuses only on facts and they don't have the ability to, to switch, to change, to, to maneuver, they don't have, they, they, they've, they've done that for so long that same way that they don't have the ability, they become one-sided. So Chet depends on Pam to be sensitive to his feelings and the feelings of others. And Chet becomes even less sensitive to others and grows out of touch because over time, he just, how many have heard, have, how many have heard um, a spouse say of their spouse, that's their thing. That's their thing. That's what they do, right? And that's, that can be okay. The problem is, is that it can also become detrimental. So let's say I rely on my wife to be the one who really pays attention to people's emotional feelings and what they need and all of that. And that's just how we do it in our house. The more I rely on that, the more time that becomes her thing, the less in touch I am with it. Let me give you a, an actual personal example of our life I just thought of. When I am in the car, <laughs> this is for real. When I am in the car by myself, I turn where I need to turn. I get to where I need to go. I don't have to think about it. I follow the directions, even if it's, you know, Siri or whatever. I, it's, everything works out fine. When my wife gets in the car, something happens in my brain where I have just got into the, the pattern of relying on her to tell me. We're supposed to take this exit. We're supposed to do this. And so I will literally, when she's in the car, I'll get in the car and I'll start driving and I'll be on the phone. I'll be, I'll be talking to someone on my headset. I'll be looking out the window and she'll be like, weren't we supposed to turn there? And I knew we were supposed to turn there. And if she wasn't with me, I would have turned there. But I have learned to expect her to tell me to turn there. See what I'm saying? So, so a pattern that created over years of just allowing her to be my directional person once we were in the car, even though I knew where we were going, but she was going to tell me anyway, so I might as well just let her do it, can become a rut to where... Suddenly, we're, if she decides to get deep into a book, we could be 30 miles in the wrong direction. <laughs> did you know? I think. Oh, I got it. So anyway, so that's, a pers- that's not Pam and Chet. That's, that's us. So let me ask you this question. 
what happens if Chet is handles all the finances and does all the books and knows all the passwords and does all the stuff? What happens when Chet gets ill? What happens when he's sick? What happens when he has a problem? It causes more stress. <laughs> it causes a whole lot more stress on a situation that's already stressful. Right? Because a pattern that worked out, hey, he's better with that stuff. Well, let him deal with that stuff. It was a pattern, and it worked. And it got you through a lot of stuff. But then something came along, and you realized you weren't able to shift because you were in a rut. Because you did it for so long the same way, and it becomes a negative. And these are the types of things that you need to think about in marriage that you can plan for. You can think, you say, well, I don't want, how do you plan for that stuff? I'll tell you how. Ready? Bad things are going to happen. I know we're apostolic Christian believers. Bad things are going to happen. Right? Mm-hmm. We know that. How do we know that? Because we've lived. We've lived and observed. So we know that these things are going to happen and we can plan for that. So patterns are not the enemy. So Pam depends on Chet to be thoughtful and logical. Pam becomes less able to make decisions based on analysis of information. Right. And so that's where we're talking about. Go ahead. So then what happens if Pam is out of town and Chet has to deal with his daughter's breakup? Yes. (laughs) Yes. What happens then? What happens if now all of a sudden I have to deal with that? I don't want to deal with that. So you got mom on speakerphone, right? <laughs> no, there's, so, so there's the ability to be able to do that. So patterns are not the enemy. Couples without patterns are going to face even greater conflict. If you think, ah, we'll just wing it every day. No, that's not going to work. You want the patterns. The patterns can be good. Things have been worked through step by step. A trail has been carved out. You don't want to have to come up with something new every time. You don't want to have to do that. You know, when that first week you bring that baby home and it starts crying in the middle of the night, you know, that, well, I don't, I don't know how long it lasted. There was probably a few days there where we were like excited to deal with it. And then the new wore off real quick, real fast. And then it's 15 minutes. You get it. That's your turn. It's not my turn. You get it. Well, I, you know, you're going to have to create a pattern here. We're going to have to figure out who's doing what. And I don't care how you do it, but you're going to have to figure it out. Uh, there was a sign on a campus, campus lawn, that had a lot of student traffic on it. It was an interesting sign. It, the sign read, walk on the grass, but do not make paths. So what they were saying was, we know that the quickest way from your last class to your next class, there may not be a sidewalk to it. And the quickest way is to cut through this, this nice manicured lawn. We're not going to try to stop you from doing that, but don't everybody walk on the same spot over and over and over and over and over again because we don't want you to create this worn out dead grass area here. So that's a good kind of a good example for that. Um, Life expands. Okay, so life expands. Marriage adds one. Then you have children. One, two, three, four. 10, 20, I don't know how many kids you want. Kids marry, then you have new children that are part of your family. Grandchildren, yeah. First you get the in-laws, children. Then you get the grandchildren. So life is challenging as well. Then you move. That's challenging. Trust me. Kids get (laughs) sick right after the job falls through. That's bad. Kids date jerks or disrespectful brats. (laughs) That's even worse, right? Um... Kids marry and move away. Empty nest syndrome comes. Unhappy with your career choice. Your health fails. Money. 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 Right? So a strong marriage, one that is healthy and can withstand change from within and without the marriage, is a balance between freedom and responsibility. Between sticking with what worked and being able to make changes. Sticking with what works gives structure to our relationship. It reminds us that we are committed to one another. Sometimes this can lead to, to us getting stuck in ruts. So there's, we're going to talk about the contract rut a little bit. So there's problems with the idea of a marriage contract. You may have heard of marriage contracts before. We have a marriage contract. 
you know, <laughs> we, that we signed an agreement. Um, the thing about marriage contracts is this, and even if they're just verbalized, uh, if you're faithful to me, then I'll be faithful to you. That's a contract, right? If you do what you're supposed to do, I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. If, if you share your possessions with me, then I'll share my possessions with you. That's a, that's a contract. But a contract only lasts, it's only good as long as both people are meeting their agreement. That's, the, that's what a contract is. When, it be, when it's breached, it becomes void. I'm not talking about a real contract in your marriage. I'm talking about just this verbal or not emotional agreement. So, but what we understand is the Bible teaches us more about covenants. The thing about a covenant is that when you make a covenant with someone, they can misbehave, they can fail, they can do things wrong. You still have the covenant. Our greatest example of this, of course, is the covenant that God made with Israel. What do we know about Israel? They routinely did things wrong. Right? What do we know about God? He stayed in covenant relationship with them. Even when they did things, even when they did things wrong. So we're, the, there's a, the rut of a contract uh, hurts us because it breaks down. Soon as you don't do what you're supposed to do, then I'm released from doing what I'm supposed to do. That is not what marriage is. Marriage is a covenant. Marriage is we're in this together. Marriage is we will work through it. We're going to figure it out. We're going to get help. We're going to get counsel. We're going to pray together. We're going to read the book together. Right? We're going to do it. And so, and let me just say this about books. On the front of your thing here, there's some reference materials. There's thousands of marriage books. These are ones that I know and have read. Um, and I've read more than that, but these are some. There's also, I did put one website on here, uh, Prepare and Enrich. There's this thing called a couple's checkup. It's kind of like an online thing you can, you can kind of take and it kind of prints off a diagnostic. Um, but these, <laughs> these, books, these books are very good. If you've never read them, I would say read them, get them, get a book on audio, whatever. Um, I understand that sometimes you know, I bring that up. Hey, you know, there's a book on that. There's a book on that. And I, sometimes people are like, ah, you know, I just want to figure it out. Well, that's fine. You can do that. I'm just trying to save you, you know, a whole lot of pain and heartache. I've never understood why people refuse to learn the lessons of people that have gone before them and have to, have to learn everything themselves. People who live that way almost always have to learn everything the hard way. And I just don't know why anybody would choose to live their life the hard way and learning everything the hard way. When people have gained a whole lot of information that you can use. So, anyway. So, what happens when a spouse feels betrayed or cheated? And they stop doing their part, they pull back on their commitment. So, if you only half-heartedly meet my needs, then I'll only half-heartedly meet your needs. Right. If you're unfaithful to me, I'm going to be unfaithful to you. Right? If you say mean things to me, I'm going to say mean things to you. And so this leads them back to our emotional needs thing. As soon as emotional needs are not being met, this is what you have to understand about emotional needs. These are part of our life. These are part of our lifeblood. Whatever your emotional needs are, these are part of your lifeblood. These are like oxygen to your lungs. When a person's emotional needs are not being met, they cannot live that way for a very long time. They will begin to seek out ways to try to feed that emotional need. Okay? Now, worst case scenario that we all jump to is, you know, some sort of an affair or something. But that's like worst case deal. But there's a lot of things that they might do and seek out to meet their emotional needs that are not about having an affair, 
but could be a but are definitely detrimental to your marriage and are definitely going to cause disruption and disconnection in your relationship. Because if you're not meeting their emotional needs, what is? What is it? And what is it that is going to be meeting that? And this is why, and let's just be honest, this is where so many actual affairs do happen. Because somebody else steps up and starts meeting that emotional need for them. Okay? And now they're drawn to that. They're drawn to that. So you have to pay attention to uh, the emotional needs and you have to pay attention to what you're taking away from each other that might also be hurting you in the process. So let's talk about measuring uh, the other's rut. So saying things like, why can't you be more like Bill's wife? Or why aren't you more like my dad? <laughs> Trying to cut your marriage out of a pattern developed for someone else's marriage, reading books on ideal marriage, and trying to match your marriage to the ideal. So when we start looking at each other and we start making these assumptions or comparisons, this is, this is a rut that can really hurt us, an expectations rut. And when we start looking at the ideal First of all, let me reiterate again, as someone who has spent a lot of time sitting in an office with married people, there are no married, perfectly married people. They do not exist. The best and happiest marriages I know are by people who work at it. They work at it. They want to, they want to have a happy marriage. They want it to be good. They don't want it to be mediocre. They don't want it to be just some companion. They don't, they're not looking for another friend. They want a valuable relationship. And so they work on having a valuable relationship. So when we start making these comparisons, we really hurt ourselves because, let me ask you this question. When I say husbands are supposed to blank, what is... Who is supposed to decide what the, 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 the answer to that sentence, the finish of that sentence is? Husbands are supposed to mow the lawn. Husbands are supposed to fix stuff. Husbands are supposed to drive. Husbands are supposed to take out the trash. Husbands are supposed to what? Who gets to decide what a husband is, is supposed to do? Who decides that? I'll tell you who decides that in your marriage. Your marriage decides that. Your marriage decides that. Now, we have a biblical mandate by God as husbands to be spiritual leaders in our home, to be providers of our home. But even providers of our home can look very differently. Right? So you have to understand that comparing your relationship to some sort of other relationship or some sort of ideal relationship or this is what I've always seen in movies relationship or this is what the books I read relationship, that is not helping you. What's going to help you is when you decide what works for your relationship and what they're supposed to do, what wives are supposed to do. Well, wives are supposed to do what? They're supposed to cook? What if, a, what if the guy is like chef quality? What if, you know what I'm saying? What if the guy is like, you know, a trained chef and the wife is like, I burn macaroni and cheese, but in my house, the wife cooks. That makes no sense. There's no logic there. You know, what are they supposed to do? Are they supposed to fold the laundry? Let me let you in a little secret. Pull the curtain back a little bit. I kind of enjoy folding laundry. She hates it. Despises folding laundry. I kind of like folding laundry. I don't know why. I don't know why. I like bringing order to chaos, and you just got this whole pile of stuff, and when it's done, you got these nice little organized piles. I like that. We figured that out. I don't remember when we figured that out. Some point in our relationship, we figured it out. What am I telling you right now? After laundry had sat there for two or three weeks, we figured that out. Yeah. I like folding laundry. I actually, I don't, I don't mind vacuuming carpet. 
Especially if it makes a little pattern. I like carpet that makes a pattern. I like to vacuum myself. You mow the lawn in squares. You like to mow the lawn? I mow the lawn, yes. I do that kind of stuff, yes. So here's the deal. So I don't understand why it would be something that if she hates it, and I don't really mind it, why would we buy into some notion that, nope, you have to do that. You have to fold the laundry. You have to vacuum. That doesn't make any sense. But there are things that we've learned about our marriage. There are things we've learned that may not be cookie cutter to what other people think a marriage should be, but it works for us. Right? And that's the important part of marriage. What works for you? Where are we at? Our spouses are not robots. Yes. (laughs) Our spouses are not robots playing the role of a husband or wife. They're not robots. So you don't get to take a remote and point, click, fold laundry. <laughs> fold laundry? Fold laundry. Well, six. You know, I thought you were going to point, click, and say, lose weight. <laughs> nah. Hey, that works. <laughs> you know, there's no remote that exists like that. And if you develop one, you'd probably be a millionaire, but it's not going to work. So. Our spouses are unique. And they come with certain needs and gifts. Right. And the only way you're going to know what their needs and gifts are is if you care enough to find out. If you don't care enough to find out, you're not going to know. If you care enough to find out, it's really not that hard to find out. But if you can figure that out. So let's look at the rut of confusing stability with the refusal to change. Okay. So the children's story, the fox and the hound. The hound, dog, puppy, and the orphan fox. You have the How hound. How many have read the story, puppy, Fox and the Hound? Orphan fox. Okay, so go ahead. Some of you have. Okay, some of you haven't. They pledge to be friends forever. Life happens. They grow up. What happens to a hound dog? What does a hound dog have to do? Hunt the fox, hunt the fox right? So now the, the, the hound dog is forced to hunt the fox. They end up protecting each other at the risk of losing their own lives. So the fox saves the hound from the bear... And the hound stands in front of the fox when the, when the owner wants to shoot the fox. The story ends with them pledging friendship forever. Yeah, beautiful story. Really cool. So they kept their childhood pledge, right? That's what they were going to be, friends forever. And they kept that pledge even though the outcome was very different than they imagined it was going to be. When they made that pledge to each other, they thought it meant they were going to run and flop, frolic and play. And that's what a lot of us looked like when we were getting married. <laughs> we made a covenant to someone and we thought we were just going to have this la-la land thing. Right? But they realized by the time it was all said and done, they still had that pledge to one another. But it actually brought them to the point of near death. <laughs> they survived. But it was not at all what they thought it was going to be starting out. But the the relationship was still there. They got to that stage and the relationship still mattered to them. This is what you have to work for. What do we have to do so that when we get to these different seasons in life, that the relationship still matters to us? That this is something meaningful to us? Everyone who was married for a few years before you had kids knows the drastic change bringing a baby into your world makes. And you have to keep your relationship alive during that season. And you have to keep it alive as they grow up. You cannot allow yourself to get to a post-child life or empty nest syndrome. Syndrome, is that the right thing? That's not right. That sounds like a disease. (laughs) Empty nesters. And look across the living room at a stranger. Everybody knows the divorce statistics. Everybody knows that there are stages in marriages where divorces happen at a much higher rate. There's all these well, you know, it's all the information in. And one of those stages is in the kid, last kid walks out the door and mom and dad look at each other 
and say, I don't even know who this person is. And the only way you don't end up like that is if you value the relationship in every season. If you don't let the relationship be taken over by whatever season you're in. You have to value the relationship. And so, we understand that marriage isn't just playtime all the time. Somebody say amen. Amen. Sometimes we have to save each other from desperate situations. Sometimes your spouse has to save you. That's real. That's real. Sometimes your spouse has to save you from yourself. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes we need to stand in the way of coming danger. Sometimes we have to sacrifice ourselves for our spouse. We have to sacrifice things for our spouse. We have to do those things. And that's real. That's very real. And if you live long enough and you're married long enough, you'll both have a chance to do it. Right? You both have a chance to do it. So, making changes in marriage. So we need to be sensitive to the unique needs and strengths of our spouses. They may have only one chance to make their dream come true. So you may have to take on more responsibility for it to happen. Fulfilling dreams can require brand new paths. So in some season of their life, an opportunity presents itself, and it requires that you make sacrifice so that they can fulfill that dream, so that they can have that opportunity. Right? Mm-hmm. Well, why, why would I make a great sacrifice so that they can have this great opportunity? Because you know and believe, first of all, that you love that person. You're in covenant with that person. And frankly, that is going to be reciprocated on you at some point. In some way, at some point, that's going to come back to you. And if you've done it for them they're going to probably do it for you. Okay? Um, We have to be tuned into the demands of the world. How many know the world that we live in is extremely demanding? Mm -hmm. And how many know that you have to be paying attention? You have to be paying attention to your world, though. You have to be paying attention to your world. So if you fly to New York City and you pull out a map of Minneapolis, it's not going to help you. Right? Okay. That's not going to help you. And a map of New York City is not going to help you. And a map that doesn't apply to your marriage and your situation is not going to help you. And the seasons of life change. So the directions you discovered in raising toddlers doesn't work when they're teenagers. <laughs> it doesn't work. If you, if you attempt to work with your teenagers the same way you worked with them as toddlers, you're going to fail. It's not going to work. You have to change. You have to shift. You have to figure out what works now. Well, if that's true from toddlers to teens, then why is that not true from the toddler stage of your marriage to the teenage stage of your marriage to the adults? You know what I'm saying? Why do we think that what we learn in the first five years of marriage is still going to work when we've been married 25 years? Why do we think that? That's not true. And so you have to understand uh, where you're at and be in tune with, with where you're at in your situation. We have to understand the stress of change. Your spouse will need more room. Maybe they'll be moody. Maybe they'll forget things. Maybe they'll have short chem- tempers. These are all part of change. But we need to face the changes together. So support your spouse even if you're not dealing directly with the change. Stages of life bring changes. We reach them at different times. Clearly communicate, however, that you are in this together. Even if you're not going through the same change, communicate that you're in it together. So, our lives change. Our bodies continue to change. Right? Our mental capacity changes. Our emotional capacity changes. There are things that happen physiologically with us that change. And you have to be aware of that. Or else you can think that everything's the same and try to approach it the same. And it's not going to work. Right? I have a really good friend of mine. He's a few years older than me. He told me recently, he said, 
you know, I, got, I just want you to know, I want, I want to tell you this because you're probably not that many years away or whatever. He starts talking to me about how, you know, things just started kind of, he started feeling lethargic all the time, kind of just feeling negative a lot, just not having very optimistic. This is a good guy. This is a great guy. And just kind of, you know, moody and just like, you know, not really having a lot of hope about whatever. And he didn't realize what was going on. He just knew he wasn't enjoying life. Started having a conversation with his wife. His wife informed him nobody was enjoying life with him. <laughs> really. And, you know, so he goes to the doctor. And he gets his hormonal stuff checked and all of that. And everything was all off. Everything was messed up. Everything was out of whack. So, now I'm just going to say it. It's the first time in my life I had a man look at me and say, you might need to get your hormones checked. (laughs) But you know what? He told me that, and I thought, all right, put that in your brain. You know, put that in your brain. In five years from now or whatever, you start going through some stuff that doesn't make sense. Maybe something has changed. Right? Right? Or you can just be like, well, it's God, I'm going to power through. Just men, let me just tell us, our power through usually makes everybody miserable. (laughs) And it really doesn't work. Okay? So, let's finish this up. (coughs) So, look to the future. Everybody say future. Future. So, we want to look to the future. Where do we go from here? Uh, Our current problems are easier to solve when our future is agreed upon. Okay? That's a very important thing. The thing you're going through right now is much easier to face when you have an agreed-upon future ahead of you, a direction that you're both going. You, if you see yourselves, it may not work out this way, but if you see yourselves holding hands in a hospital room, dying together someday, super romantic, if that's what you see, that may not work that way, but the stuff that you're dealing through now is easier to face. Because you always have this unsaid expectation, we're going to always be together. So we approach this situation like we're always going to be together. Instead of approaching it like, ah, who knows? You know, maybe this will be the thing that breaks us up. Maybe this will be the thing that knocks us out. There's a power in having an agreed upon future. And having an agreed upon future requires that you have communicated about your future. If you haven't yet found the pleasure of sitting down and dreaming about the future, you need to discover that very quickly because it's a lot of fun. Okay? Especially when you start to agree about things in your future and then start to actually work towards those things and they start to become a little bit more of a reality. That's very cool. So talk about that with each other. Plan that stuff out together. Communicate love and commitment clearly. And communicate it often. We need to talk. We need to talk about it often. You need to talk about your love and your commitment to one another. Okay? Now, I've had over the years, I've had wives tell me about their husbands. You know, he hasn't said he loved me since the day we were married. He hasn't said he loves me since 1967. He hasn't said, you know, and, and then of course it's the, I show you I love you because I do this. I show you I love you because you do that. Let me give you a little help. Show it and say it. Show it and say it. Here's the deal. Say it every day for three or four days and it won't be weird. It's only weird for a little bit. Say it right before you walk out the door. Love you. And then just walk out the door. <laughs> love you. Wham. Ease yourself into it a little bit if it's hard. If it's hard, ease yourself into it. But show it and say it. And talk about your commitment. Talk about your future. Talk about your plans. Talk about where you're at. Now, if I just freaked you out with the word talk ten times in a row, how does that look for you? For some couples, that may mean that they, they have long talks all the time. For you, it may be more of a scheduled thing. You know, we, maybe you have your once a week lunch 
where you sit down and you talk while you eat lunch, and then you'll do it again next week. <laughs> Maybe that's how it works for you. But I'll tell you what's not going to work. Never talking. Never communicating. Never sharing. All that's going to do is cause you pain and heartache. You're going to end up very confused and not knowing how to shift when you come into a season of life and you didn't, weren't expecting some things to happen. All right? All right. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening to our podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed this message. Remember, if you would like to find out more information about our church or to contact us, please go online at connectpointupc.com. And also don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app so you will be automatically notified of new episodes. Thank you and we hope you have a great week. Thank you.